Welcome to What Happened to You, the podcast that interviews footballers of the past today about their interviews from the past. Don't worry, it will all make sense when you listen. On this episode, supported by the set pieces, we talk to former Ipswich Town, Leicester City, Southampton, Bristol City, Brighton and Hove Albion, Cardiff City and England defender Russell Osman about his super focus interview for Shoot Magazine from the 1981-82 season. You can find the original interview on our Twitter feed at WHTYPod and on our dedicated channel over at The Set Pieces, www.thesetpieces.com. Full name? Russell Charles Osman. Uh, birthplace and date? Ilkeston in Derbyshire on the 14th of February 1959. And height? 5'10". Uh, and do you still weigh 11 stone 12 pounds? I don't. Uh, I weigh around about um, 12'10 now. Okay, well, you've still got a good fighting weight then. Yeah, it was me playing weight when I finished playing, really. So I managed to keep it steady. Well, firstly, Russell, welcome to What Happened to You. How's things? Yeah, good, good. Um, Well, before we get to the questions, I I have to say that in this shoot interview from 1981-82, you're looking resplendent in that blue pinstriped Adidas Ipswich kit, uh, sponsored by Pioneer, proudly posing next to the UEFA Cup you'd recently won. Um, With the tan and the hair, you, you look more like a rock star than a footballer. <laughs> um, in those days, a lot of us had long hair. Uh, used to call it a bit of a mullet if it got too long at the back. Um, and I only had it sort of trimmed down a bit when we went to do Escape to Victory, which was um, just after that, really the end of that following season. Uh, right, well, we've got you in this interview at the peak of Ipswich's powers, certainly. Um, but if we rewind a little bit, uh, you were born in Derbyshire, supported Derby yeah. County as a boy. Your favourite childhood player was Derby striker Kevin Hector. Um, so you were one of the lucky ones to have grown up during Brian Clough's time as manager at the baseball ground. Yeah, uh, my father used to play for Derby County back in the 50s, a little bit. So uh, there's a bit of a connection there. and. My mum used to go and watch them play on a regular basis. So me and my brothers used to go and, uh, you know, stand on the old milk crate and get a decent view. You know, and I can still, it's funny, I can still remember all the players from that era. You know, not only Kevin Hector, but Alan Hinton, Alan Durbin, Roy McFarlane, Colin Todd, uh, Les Green, uh, Colin Bolton, who I played cricket with as well. Uh, and what seems to have happened in the modern time, you know, you have so many players only stay at the club one, two, maybe three years. It's hard to say uh, or name a complete side from about three or four years ago now. Yeah. Whereas I can still remember them from... And I think people, the same with the Ipswich team, a lot of people thought Ipswich were, you know, quite a stylish side at the time. And I think we were a lot of people's sort of favourite second club, if you like. Mm. So, but I grew up watching Derby and it was great fun. Well, you, you joined Ipswich straight from school. 
uh, and you were asked what you would have done had you not made it, to which you replied, uh, PE teacher. Um, were you one of those lads for whom everything revolved around sport then? Because I see you not only won youth honours for England at football, but you uh, also uh, managed to get into the uh, England youth rugby team too. Yeah. Um, my older brother, the year before me, he captained England uh, schoolboys at under 15 level. I played for them the following years on the 15 level. Then the, the age group went up to under 16 and I'm captain the side that second year. Um, but I played a lot of cricket, played local football for Repton Casuals, which was the, the village we grew up in, uh, Repton. Uh, I went to grammar school, Burton-on-Trent Grammar School. So, you know, I played rugby during the week and on a Saturday, football on a Sunday. Uh, and that was it. And I think Bobby Robson's brother saw me play one day in the Derby District Cup final for Repton Casual's senior team when I was about 15. And we won the final. And after that, I got invited down to Ipswich and made the move pretty quickly after that. Um, well, your nickname was Oz. Is that still the same? <laughs> it is for a lot of people, yeah. Um, you get the on message on Facebook and uh, starts off, hi, how are you doing? And stuff like that. So, yeah, that's not changed. Uh, now, I suspect you were messing around a bit with these next two questions. Um, firstly, to the question, who is your favourite player? You answered Sid Armour. Now, I must admit to have never having heard of him and I came up blank on Google. Uh, can you enlighten us about Sid? Uh, Sid Armour is the character that Mike Summerby played in Escape to Victory. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, then, and secondly, you <laughs> your choice for player for the future was uh, John Jackson, who I can only imagine being the 40-year-old goalkeeper who had just joined Ipswich, having already had a football league career for nigh on 20 years. Yeah, but he had great potential. <laughs> he was a great fellow, Mark. He was um, one of those... Fellas, that it was just great to have in the squad and to be around mm. the place. It was always the same every day, larking around, but a, a thoroughly good professional to, to have in your squad at the same time. Yeah. Well, I also looked him up on Google and he managed to make one, one league appearance for Ipswich. So your prediction of him being one for the future was a little bit awry there. Yeah, well, he'll probably, probably play, um, blame the managers than he would. Yeah. Um, well, judging by your answers in this interview, it seems like you were into motorsports, motorbikes, cars, etc. Um, you said you admired racing drivers and, and most wanted to meet the great mo motorcycle rider Barry Sheen, who was a hero to so many people in the 70s and 80s. Um, did you ever get to meet him before he sadly passed away? I did. Uh, Bob Thomas, um, the photographer, managed to arrange a photo shoot uh, up at... Um, Castle Donington, Donington Park. And it was, it was a great honour, you know, and he was having a practice day up there and sat in his caravan with him and he was a thoroughly nice fella. It was, it was after his second serious accident and he was making comments about how brave his footballers were and the injuries <laughs> we got. You know, and this is a bloke who'd been pinned back together again mm. you know, on a couple of occasions. And he'd actually been um, water skiing that morning, both things. I thought he's got more, more pins and metal in his legs than he's got bone. And, you know, he's still larking about on water skis. But he was a lovely fella. Lovely, yeah. lovely man. Yeah. yeah. Well, now your own car, 
um, that you were looking forward to getting after December that year was a Datsun. Um, first of all, why, yeah. were you, why were you being made to wait for it? And, and what, what model was it? Was it any good? Um, I didn't actually get around to getting a, a Datsun, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, uh, I think what had happened previously was, I might be wrong, but I, I got banned from driving for a year after a little bit of a mishap one night. Mm. And um, so I had a year off the road. And when I came back, uh, I was fortunate enough to be sponsored by Mercedes Benz. So it worked out to my benefit. And the salesperson at Mercedes Benz at the time is my wife now of 30 odd years. So mm. having that year band did me a massive favor yeah just think how how your life might have turned out different had you got that Datsun you know I know who knows what would have happened then <laughs> um it sounds like you like dining out because that's what you said uh, in your miscellaneous likes um rude people you weren't so keen on and you fancied opening a restaurant after you finished playing apparently um do you remember what your favorite food and drink was if you had been going out um I think beef stroganoff was on the menu in those days um, that I quite liked. Uh, I grew up in a pub in Repton and um, also had a, a, a restaurant upstairs. So two nights a week I would work in the, in the kitchen with my father. And so the other five nights a week, me and my older brother were working behind the bar. So slave labour. Um, <laughs> but in those days, it was a... A good learning process and you know I learned that you know the ins and outs of working in the kitchen and stuff like that so uh, it just seemed that if I got the chance it'd be nice to open a restaurant but it, you know that was one of those dreams that never happened. Mm. Uh, and do you remember what your favourite pre-match meal was? Yeah I do um, in those days it was quite light um, it was only something like post eggs on toast or boiled chicken that's when right. I first got into the first team at Ipswich, though, in 1977, we were having fillet steak or Dover sole, you know, so it was completely against what the players would be having now. Mm. You know, so much more um, thought goes into it and knowledge of, you know, how your diet will affect the way you play, your carbo loading on the Friday night now. Um, and the same with, with hydration, you know, we didn't realise in those days how important it was to be so well hydrated, you know, before the game, during the game and after the game. Um, and if we did, we'd have been a lot fitter, a lot stronger and played for a lot longer. Well, let's get to matters on the field at that point in time, which was the beginning of the 81-82 uh -huh. season. Um, and little old Ipswich, managed by the late, great Bobby Robson, were arguably the best team in the country. Yet, although you'd famously captured the European silverware, uh, you'd also just missed out on the league uh, to Aston Villa and were beaten by mid-table Manchester City in their FA Cups uh, semi-final. Um, and if you'd gone on to the final, you would have played uh, Tottenham, who also finished well behind you in the table. Um, it was a fantastic campaign, but was it also tinged with regrets? Yeah, very much so. Because we played 66 competitive games that season. I was fortunate in that I played every one. And four international games, so that made 70 top-class games I played that season, uh, which worked out from the start of the date of the first game to the date of the last game. Meant I played a game in under one every five days. 
all season, which was ridiculous, really. Aston Villa got knocked out the FA Cup early on, the League Cup early on. They weren't in Europe, so they played something ridiculous like 47, 48 games. They had about eight players played every game that season. Um, you know, and that gave them the edge towards the end of the season when we had a run of poor results. Their results stayed the same and were getting better. And they eventually pipped us. But um, we then had to go back and play Manchester City in the semi-final at Villa Park, of all bloody places. <laughs> we'd, we'd beat Aston Villa in the cup, we'd beat them at home, we'd beat them away, but we couldn't stop them winning the league. And... I thought we were very unfortunate when we played Manchester City. Kevin Beattie broke his arm late on in the game and I think that was his last first team appearance. Uh, things just didn't go our way. Um, Eric Gates gave away a free kick around about the edge of the 18-yard box, which was something Eric never did in his life. Never made a tackle, never mind foul somebody. <laughs> then Paul Power stepped up and scored probably the goal of his career. You know, wrap one into the top corner. That got them through. And we had, we had the opportunity. Man City went and played Tottenham in the final, as you mentioned. That went to a replay. And the night of the replay, um, there was an England get-together. So I was now with the England squad up in Scotland for the England-Scotland game at the weekend. But on the Wednesday night, we were invited down to watch the Rolling Stones for the Glasgow Apollo. So we actually went in the changing room with Mick Jagger and Bill Wyman. Uh, and we were watching Manchester City play Spurs in the replay, the FA Cup with the, the Rolling Stones. Well, so there you go. How can you, <laughs> the next best thing to be in the final, I suppose. Oh, great. Well, you said that your most memorable match was the 81 UEFA Cup final first leg. Uh, back in the days when the final was played over two legs, of course, uh, which you played against AZ Alkmaar of Holland. Uh, It was often said that the UEFA Cup was the most difficult of the European competitions due to the strength and depth. Um, Remind us about that match and also your run to the final. Well, the run to the final, when we we got down to playing AZ Alkmaar, I think we thought we'd been a a little bit unfortunate in being drawn at home first. Two-legged... games are always what the thinking is it's easier to play the away leg first tie everything down as much as you can and then get the result back at home in the second leg but we were playing at home first and you know one good thing about that is that we kept a clean sheet and we've got people like Johnny Walk who were scoring regularly you know every time we put a pair of boots on really uh, so we ended up winning that game 3-0 and we knew that um AZ Alkmaar hadn't really played to their full potential that night. So we were very cautious about going into the second leg of the final that, you know, three goals might not be enough. It should be enough, but away from home, it's a long time um, to keep a clean sheet, especially when the opposition have got nothing to lose. You know, they had to go helpful leather with us, really. And early on in the game, we... We scored, I think Franz Tyson scored a volley from the edge of the 18-yard box. So that made us four up on aggregate. And from that moment on, it was just a wave of AZ Dantmar players charging at us non-stop. They were like fearless. Um, And 
bombed us for for sort of the next 80 minutes and we were very not fortunate but I think we deserved we deserved to uh, to hang on we you know we won and it, it was very relieving at the end of the game to be able to pick up a trophy um, and really celebrate all the hard work that gone into that season even though we only had the one trophy to show for it in the end well there were some great players in that side uh, McMills the Dutch duo, Arnold Muren and Franz Tyson, who yeah. won, won Player of the Year that year. Uh, Alan Brazil, Eric Gates, Terry Butcher, John Walk, Paul Mariner, yourself, of course. Um, now, in the 81-82 season, uh, you didn't quite fulfil your personal ambition, which was to win the first division, because you finished runners-up again uh, behind Liverpool yeah. this time. Uh, Bobby Robson was then tempted away by the lure of the England job after the World Cup in Spain. And then a number of those key players were sold and Ipswich never really recovered uh, and were relegated in 1986. Um, had Bobby stayed, do you think that you would have gone on to win more trophies, specifically that league title? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I mean, we were very competitive with Liverpool over that period. Um, Ipswich has still never lost a, a European tie at home, uh, which is a... Terrific record to still have. Doesn't look like it's going to be broken in the next few years either. Um, and it was just the way that, that Sir Bobby left. You know, he um, taken the England job, which was great and credit to him for, you know, all his achievements there. But he didn't really tie loose ends up at Ipswich. You know, Arnold Muren, you know, locked his clubhouse up and drove up to Manchester United and signed for them. Um, we um, got knocked out of the European Cup early on in early stages the year before, so we didn't qualify for Europe. So the club had committed to build um, a new level on one of the stands to give us another three or four thousand seats because the European nights were packed out. Obviously, we weren't getting European nights, the cost of the stand escalated. And the only option uh, left for Bobby Ferguson and the, the board of directors was to sell the players. So Paul Manor went, Johnny Walt went, uh, George Burley went, Terry Gates went. Um, and then it was my turn. And, you know, it was, um, I went to see Bobby Ferguson one day because I'd been sent off in a, a match the night before against um, Queen's Park Rangers. It was... Uh, Milk Cup quarter-final replay and it, it got us into the semi-final against Norwich. So I went to see Bobby Ferguson to see if he was going to uh, find me for, for getting sent off. Me and Simon Stainwell got sent off together after five minutes of the game. Um, but we went through. And uh, Bobby Ferguson turned around and said, uh, no, I'm not going to find you son, but <clears throat> if you want a quick chat about your contract, um, take a seat. I sat down. And he said, uh, they wouldn't be offering me a new contract. Um, they wanted to sell me. And uh, if I could find myself another club, the deal could be done as quickly as possible. And from that moment on to the end of the season, I was made to feel pretty uncomfortable at the club. And uh, I ended up leaving. And again, without pointing the finger at anybody, I think... Uh, Bobby Robson, he, he looked after himself with the England set up and you can't blame him for that. Um, but he sort of left the 
the club, um, not in the lurch really, but you know, looking in the wrong direction to the future, if you know what I mean. It was all about European football and the stand and, and making Portman Road, um, it was like a reflection of Sir Bobby's success really. Mm. You know, a new stand here, new boxes there, another new stand, more executive boxes. It was like the, the house that Bobby built. And then all of a sudden he's gone to manage England, but not paid off the last instalment of the, the project. Yeah. And that's what, in a way, crippled the club for the time being. And uh, obviously I played for Leicester the following season, 85-86, um, and that's the season that Ipswich got relegated. So... You know, I was still in the what was the first division then with Leicester, and Ipswich went into the second division. Well, Russell, you won the UEFA Cup, uh, were a key member of one of the best sides of the 80s, and you played 11 times for England. Um, and we mustn't forget, you more than did your part for the war effort, helping the Allies to bring the Wehrmacht down a peg or two in a, in a famous match in Paris. Uh, I am, of course, talking about your role as Doug Clore in the film Escape to Victory which was released in 1981, uh, and what a side that was yeah. as well. Um, it even included Bobby Moore and Pele, who you'd named in your greatest ever 11. How, how did your participation in the film come about? It was interesting because um, Bobby Robson called a meeting one day at the training ground, well, at Portman Road, and just explained that he'd been approached by a production company involved in the making of a, a film, and needed some players to help shoot the football scenes in this uh, prisoner of war film. Um, and basically, that was all we knew. He said there's going to be one or two other European players or worldwide players. Um, didn't really name names as such. He said he would give permission for anybody that wanted to go through the, the summer five, six weeks in, in Hungary, in Budapest. Uh, and that was it. So myself, Johnny Walker, Kevin O'Callaghan and a few of the other boys uh, were available. I was mad at the time, so I said, well, I can do the whole lot. I agreed to do that. And suddenly when we got there, we were given a script. And in my case, uh, they said, you know, you're playing the part of uh, Doug Claw. Uh, and in the morning, once you've had your hair cut, you will have dialogue um, in front of camera with Michael Caine. So I'm thinking... I think there's been a mistake here somewhere. We're just here to do the football scenes, you know, in the background. And they said, no, you've actually got, you know, a role to play in the film, a character, and you've got dialogue. So that was a bit, a bit of a, a nervy morning, the following morning. But Michael Caine was absolutely fantastic. You know, he made everybody feel very welcome. Told a load of great funny stories and... Um, and next thing you know, he said, right, come on, let's get this done. Um, cameras were rolling and it was, he made it very, very easy. Hey, hey. I don't want to go. Well, you let's go on. back. We can win this. Who said that? I did. It's not as though we're being slaughtered, Skipper. What do you mean we can win? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Colby, we're losing time. You mean you, mean you go back and play the second half? Well, I'll tell let's you, move. We only got a few minutes. Yes, but we can win this. Ah, you you can't win with me in the goal. Of course we can. He's not a bad goalie, is he? What the hell's the matter with you guys? You want to go back to prison? Oh, man, we need you. That's right. You guys do what you want, but I'm well, What we're doing is quitting. I ain't going back to prison. You've got to come back. If Forget you it, don't, if you don't come back, we can't go. Hatch, if you go, we've all got to go with you. 
We can't go back without the goalie. If you hurts. Hart. Please, Hart. That game means a lot to us. You know that. We must go back. Hart, Please. Let's go. We can win. Come on. Hart. If you run now, we lose more than a game. Please, Hart. Well, you remember the Allies were 4 1, 4 1 down at half time, and it was primarily you as Doug Claw, backed up by Mike Summerby and Pele, that persuaded Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone to abandon your escape through the French resistance made tunnel under the team's yeah. back so you could go out and stick it to the Nazis. It, it does just sound mad now, doesn't it, for a, for a footballer, but it must have been such a great experience. Well, with, I mean, at the time, 1981, and we're talking about 2020 now, and it's still as popular as ever and it's still shown as much as it has been over the recent years um you know people always remind me about it wherever i go you know i do a lot of work in in india every year you know and the lads will sit down and get a dvd out and you know watch that and introduce other people to it um but Pelly was fantastic we used to go out for dinner with him in the evenings as well he'd take a guitar and have a <laughs> Johnny Walker, Black Label, Scotch on the table, and uh, um, Bobby Moore, you know, was a, a super fellow. My summer be great fun. Um, probably didn't do me liver any good spending five weeks with that <laughs> crowd of people. Ozzy Ardeal is great lad as well. Um, so what you mentioned about Ipswich, um, but then what happened to you after Ipswich? Your time was up at Ipswich. You mentioned Leicester, but then you also carried on playing for another ten years or so, uh, and also went into management and coaching. Yeah, I went uh, Ipswich to Leicester, stayed at Leicester for three years. I then went to Southampton and played for Chris Nicholl in a very successful, well, I say successful uh, Southampton side who on the day were, would give anybody a run for the money. You know, we had Jimmy Casey midfield, Matt Letizier, Shearer up front, Rodney Wallace, um, uh, Glenn Cockle in midfield, John Burridge in goal, Lenton Flowers. Um, Neil Ruddock, played alongside Neil Ruddock for a couple of years, which was entertaining. <laughs> um, Steve Walsh, I played with at Leicester, was a great lad as well. Uh, and then from Southampton, I went to, to Bristol City, uh, sort of on a month's loan. And, you know, uh, I'm still there sort of 30 years later. Mm-hmm. The kids ended up growing up, you know, they were, they were born in Leicester and Southampton, but really went to school, Clifton College and places like that. Um, then I managed Bristol City for a couple of years, uh, a little bit with Cardiff, um, caretaker manager with Plymouth Argyle and Bristol Rovers for, for a little while. Um, then I got involved with working for Eurosport, and I worked for Eurosport for the best part of 20 years, um, doing commentary on you know, every type of football, you know, international football, ladies football, youth football, um, Champions League, World Cup, European Championships, the whole shooting match, African Cup of Nations. And through that, one of the contacts there um, invited me out to India on a couple of occasions, sort of 12, 13 years ago. And the same production people uh, got involved when... Uh, the Indian Super League started sort of six years ago and asked me to go and work out in India and commentate on uh, the Indian Super League then. And, you know, thankfully, uh, 
that went well and I'm still doing it to this day. So we're just seeing when ISL 7 starts. It should start um, late November in Goa. I think they're going to play all the games in one state in Goa this year. Try and create a big bubble down in, uh, in Goa. Um, we've just got to see how they're going to do the commentary, whether we go out there and commentate uh, on all the games from Goa or whether they stick us in the studio again in Mumbai like they have done the last couple of years. Um, or if it changes, we might be flying all over India again for mm. another few months. So I'm usually out there about nearly five months of the year. Uh, and that's really what I do now. Yeah. Um, what would 1980s you think of you now? And also, how do you look back at yourself back in the early 80s? Um, I think the 80s player would uh, look at me now and think, uh, you lucky man, you found, <laughs> you found yourself a very good partner in life and um, three very uh, terrific kids. I've got three wonderful boys, one's 32 and I've got twins who are 29, one's in Melbourne at the moment and one works in London. Um, and vice versa, looking back at myself in 1980, um, I don't think I'd have changed anything. I might have said, you know, don't drink as much and don't have such a good time. But, in, you know, I never sort of let it interfere with me football, I don't think. Um, but I wouldn't swap it, swap yeah. it either way around. No, yeah. I, was very, I was very lucky that I got the opportunity at the right time, that I was fit and injury free at the right time and playing for somebody that liked the way I played. So the opportunity had to be right, the fitness had to be right and you have to be under the eye of somebody that, that likes what they see. Well, Russell, it's been um, fantastic to have you on the podcast and, and thanks again for sharing your memories with us. Um, you're, on, you're on social media, aren't you? Um, where can the listeners follow you on Twitter? On, on Twitter, it's Russell um, Oz5, I think, R-U-S-S-E-L-L-O-S-5. Um, I think that's the easiest way. And all other, all other options are there as well. I'm Instagram, and I'm easy to find, put it like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Russell, appreciate your time. Thanks again for coming on. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for listening to What Happened to You. You can find us across all the main podcast platforms, so please don't forget to subscribe. For updates about future guests and new episodes, follow us on Twitter at WHTYPod. For extra content related to What Happened to You, including the original interviews that inspired this episode, visit our friends The Set Pieces at www.thesetpieces.com and follow them on Twitter at The Set Pieces. We'll be back again soon, so until next time, goodbye.